Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. The Bible instructs us to pray for many things. Pray for all the saints, all the church members, for all men, for all kings and rulers, for all who are in adversity, for the sending forth of laborers, to pray for those who labor in the gospel, to pray for all converts, for believers who have fallen into sin. We are commanded in the Bible to pray for one another in our immediate circles, to pray for the healing of the sick, for deliverance of those in captive, and for those who are enduring temptation. We are encouraged to pray for a lot of things. I'm encouraging us to pray for an awakening, a prolonged season of divine favor. Our nation, America, has had several of them. We are praying for one more final awakening. Those who have studied the religious phenomena of an awakening tell us there are usually five main elements or phases, signposts, milestones, mile markers, if you would, on the road to an awakening. When you begin to see these, you know that an awakening is happening. For one follows the other so long as people keep praying. The first phase is intercession, that God's people unite in prayer for an awakening. How long? However long it takes. But one thing is for certain, each and every awakening can be traced back to kneeling figures. People of prayer have ushered in great awakenings. Each spoke of light emanates from an altar of intercession. Each ray of hope, each miracle, each unleashing of divine power has come from the prayers of intercessors. So when you see people interceding as never before, know this. An awakening is coming. The second phase or second element of an awakening is revelation. It's one of the curious things about an awakening is that it begins to fasten and fixate on some aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace, his cross, his mercy, his provision. The awakenings in America have largely focused on one or more of the so-called offices of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Savior, Healer, Baptizer or Sanctifier, and Coming King. When people grow fascinated yet again with Jesus Christ, then understand an awakening is coming. Let me skip the third phase or the third element because I'm going to come back to that and that will be the core of what we discuss today. The fourth element of an awakening is a revitalization. Churches are revitalized. Ministries are revitalized. Members are brought back to life. Churches come back to life in a new and living way. And how we need that to happen. We need dead things to come to life. We need a newness to fall again on all of us. The fifth element of an awakening is expansion. Mass conversions, cities turned upside down with the gospel. And don't we all want to see that? This entire world in a spiritual upheaval for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we don't want to see is the church turned inside out, and more particularly ourselves. You see, at the heart of the five elements or the phases of an awakening 
is that third one that I skipped over. I can do that when listing the elements of an awakening, but to have one, it can't be glossed over or ignored, although people have tried. The third element of an awakening is consecration, the turning of ourselves inside out. It's that second verse of the beautiful hymn, I am thine, O Lord, that says, Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord. By the power of grace divine, let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine. My will, not my will, your will, Lord, be done. And that is consecration. When our will gets lost in God's will, what prevents an awakening? What holds it back? It's not the darkness of the world. It's not the hate, the violence, the mocking, the ridicule against God. If a true awakening happens or doesn't happen, one of the chief reasons is consecration or the lack thereof. God's people ignore God's ways. God's people ignore God's word. God's people fail to seek God's face. You see, the condition of the world never stopped God. It's the condition of the hearts of God's people that limit the Holy One of Israel. Was A.W. Tozer said that in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. And perhaps this is at the bottom of backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but insist that Christ do all the dying. And we doom ourselves to shadows, weakness, and spiritual sterility. What precedes an awakening? When God's people see their fallen condition and repent. When God's people awaken themselves to pray and seek the Lord's face. When God's people get so grieved over the lostness of the world around them that they will not rest until people are saved. Because within each of our heart, there is a cross and there is a throne, and we must choose which one we occupy. It was Dr. Jim Dennison, founder of the Forum of Truth and Culture, who said, in our culture, God is a hobby. God is for Sunday, not Monday. Just like golf or tennis or any other hobby, God's a part of our lives. He's not the Lord of our lives. Where people are making God their king, they're joining the Great Awakening. Where they're making God their hobby, they're missing what God is doing in the world today. I like that. Perhaps this is what hurts us the most in America. For us, God is a hobby. He's a Sunday pastime. He's locked in a box one day of the week, and for a few hours we let him out. And he doesn't invade our daily lives. There will be no awakening for those who confine God to one day or one hour of a day. For the first time, a global awakening is actually possible and attainable. It's possible, indeed, it's happening. Even as I speak today, we are seeing signs of an awakening all over this world. But I hasten to add that we shouldn't believe or accept the idea that this awakening will take place somewhere out there, somewhere over there. But it takes place in our hearts, within the heart of each of us. If judgment should begin at the house of God, then judgment should begin with the heart of each believer, the true tabernacle of God. 
God doesn't withhold revival, nor can he bring it any more than he already has. God doesn't withhold revival. We prevent revival. We prevent it by laying down our cross and occupying the throne. John Wesley once wrote that we are to earnestly grieve for those who do not know the Lord. He went on to say, do you love your neighbor as yourself? The Lord God, fill your heart with such love for every soul that you will be ready to lay down your life for the sake of others. This is what Jesus did. This is what many of the first apostles did. And this is what you and I are called to do. It's on a sunburnt and windswept grave in Cairo, Egypt. There's an inscription to a man named William Borden, heir to the Borden fortune. He died at the young age of 25. He'd always wanted to be a missionary to the Muslims. En route to China, he stopped in Egypt and there he contracted spinal meningitis. And he died at the age of 25. Most go to Egypt to see the tombs of pharaohs, but if I ever get to Egypt, I would like to stand at the foot of the grave of this man, the one who turned his back on his upbringing with the words, no reserves, the one who refused to opt for a more lucrative plan with the words, no retreats, the one who launched into an unknown future with the words, no regrets. At the base of his tombstone is chiseled these words, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. I read obituaries. I read lots of them. I read how successful this one was or that one was, or what accomplishments they had and what clubs they had joined, what positions they held, what they left behind, who they left behind. But I've never read a eulogy like this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Can I tell you this man's story, William Borden, part of an affluent family in Chicago, heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, the Borden Milk Company? As a young man, he could do anything. His future was limitless. He graduated from high school at the age of 16 in the year of 1904. His graduation gift was a cruise around the world. He boarded the ship, he sailed the seven seas, and he saw needs of people, not just their physical needs. He saw their spiritual needs, and his heart was crushed and broken. And he sensed there was something more he should do with his life. He answered the call to the mission field saying, yes, Lord, I'm willing. From a carnal perspective, he had a lot to lose. From an eternal perspective, he had much more to gain. When he returned from his worldwide cruise, he spent his college years at Yale. He made a journal entry that defined what he believed to be at the root and heart of each and every issue he would face in his short life. He said in his journal, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. He went on to say in every man's heart, there is a throne and a cross. If Christ is on the throne, then self is on the cross. And if self, even a little bit of self, is on the throne, then Jesus is on the cross in that man's heart. And so he prayed, and this was also recorded in his journal. He said, Lord Jesus, I take my hands off as far as my life is concerned, and I put thee on the throne of my heart. 
change me, cleanse me, use me as you will choose. And that's what took William Borden to the mission field, where the epitaph of his life can now be read. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Not my will, but thine be done. Not just today, but each and every day. Not just one hour of the day, but for each moment of each day, God calls us to relinquish control, to say no to the throne in our heart, and yes, to the cross in our heart. For until you know the price of sacrifice, you know very little about God. For God so loved the world that he gave, and until that love grips you and I, then we know little about why we are here and what we are called to do. There is a secret of living a blessed life, and it's paying the full price. Because as Borden wrote, within each heart is a cross and a throne. In each moment of every day, we need to choose the cross. We need to choose that third step and third phase of an awakening. We need to choose consecration. And by choosing consecration, we are unlocking the power of God in our life. We are deliberately choosing an awakening. When we say, Lord, you shall always be on the throne of my heart and self will always be on the cross in my heart. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed, 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way until we meet again.